love the word of the Lord and we need the word. You know, I love worship. I love God's presence. I love the altar time. God's going to touch people. And uh, God's been healing and delivering and setting people free and, and baptizing the Holy Spirit all the time. And we love that, but we need the word. Amen. So, Lord, as we pray over the word of the Lord tonight, I'm asking you, Lord, that you would come upon me and everybody's agreeing with me, that, but that you would anoint me and speak through me, Lord, your words of life. And that your word will go out in, in power and anointing. And Lord, I pray that your word be like a hammer that breaks through every stronghold. It's going to be a sword that cuts through and gets where it needs to be. Lord, we ask you that you would speak through me and your word would be as living seeds of truth sown out in the good fertile soil even now that's prepared by the holy spirit and lord i pray even now that the people that are hearing this live or they're going to be hearing this in the future lord i pray where we're at that the holy spirit just begin to move over all of us anoint our minds to be able to understand things maybe we couldn't before anoint our hearts anoint our eyes and ears to be able to see and hear what the holy spirit is revealing to us and we have eyes and ears of the spirit and Lord, as those seeds go out into good soil of people's hearts and minds and lives, let them be watered by the Spirit and take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Let there be the washing of the water of the Word, or let there be a boldness in the Holy Spirit, and let there be a bright light of your truth that shines and dispels all the darkness, all the lies, all the deception of the enemy, driving that away and bringing truth in Jesus' name. And the Bible says that you know the birds of the air try to steal the seed and so lord we agree together that anything of the enemy that would try to steal the seed be bound in jesus name and go you have no power we break your power in the name of jesus and by the power of his blood and let the winds of your spirit just carry this everywhere it needs to go and lord let your mighty angels watch over your word we stand on the promise that the word of the lord will go forth and accomplish that which you sent forth to do it will not return void and so, Lord, we thank you for it, and we believe for it right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so I'm doing a series. If you could bring my lapel down, Brother Zach, just a little bit. It's a little hot. But I'm doing a series on what brought revival. God has been moving here for a long time, and we've been seeing a lot of things. And so I've dealt with different things. I dealt with a pattern of service, and I've I've covered a lot of things in this about faith, etc. And tonight I want to do something a little bit different. I'm going to talk this. I'm really comfortable with this subject, so I'm not going to be bound by my notes or anything. But I want to talk about culture and about atmosphere. This is extremely important. And so as we talk about this tonight, I want you all to give me your best ear. Because I feel that this subject content is very important. I think it's something that that needs to be preached a lot a lot more than what it probably is but here's here's where I want to go with this tonight both an atmosphere and a culture are developed over time uh, give you an example we can use the natural but an atmosphere is not something that's just overnight but it's created over a long period of time and let, let me give you an example of what I mean so here in the south we have a climate here an atmosphere that's conducive for certain types of plant life whereas if you were to go far north 
up into Canada, there's things that are here that won't survive there. And vice versa, there's things in the north in that climate. It's used to the cold weather there. It doesn't get extremely hot like it does here. And there's different, you know, different issues, but it will not survive here. And how many knows whenever you have a certain type of atmosphere over a long period of time, you know, here in the south, we may get a really cold, cold front come in and it may get really cold for a few weeks or something, but it goes away and it goes back to the atmosphere that we're accustomed to here. In certain atmospheres, like for example, you go up into the Colorado Rockies and during a certain time of the year, people are used to there being an atmosphere there of snow and, and it will draw a certain type of people. You hear what I'm saying? And so once an atmosphere is developed over time, that atmosphere is going to attract certain type of people. And that can be good or bad. There's some places that have a dead atmosphere, a religious atmosphere. It's been developed over a period of time. And maybe even a Jezebel atmosphere or an atmosphere of strife and fighting. And those type of people will be drawn to that atmosphere. You see? And so... That's one thing I want to talk about is atmosphere, and then the other is culture. You know, we, we're all familiar with different cultures. If, if you and I were to get on an airplane and go to the Middle East somewhere, we were to get out, I mean, there's going to be a culture that that group of people has that's probably going to be very different than what we're used to here in America. Then you get on a plane and you go down into Africa. You get out and start talking to people and you see how they live and and there's a different culture. Then you get on a plane and go out in the Far East, somewhere in a Buddhist country, and you, you start talking to these people, maybe in Japan or whatever, and it's a very different culture. Those two words is what I want to talk about the most tonight, is atmosphere and culture. Both of these words, when you're dealing with a spiritual atmosphere and you're dealing with a spiritual culture, it has to be developed over time. For example, a church cannot just have a good meeting every once in a great while and think that that's the culture or that's the atmosphere. That's just a good evening. But when you start having it happen next week and then the next week and then the next week and then the glory of God deepens and increases, and you keep going that direction over a period of time, now you're starting to see that there is a cultivated atmosphere that is not just a good service here and there, but it's something that is remaining. That's an atmosphere. Just like in the South, we're used to certain things. You go down to a beachfront area, they're used to a certain climate. It's not like it's every once in a while it's that way. It's always that way. So the point is, <clears throat> is that we have to develop an atmosphere and sustain that atmosphere. And the second is a culture. A culture has a lot to do with the way people think, but over a period of time, as you keep doing what God is telling you to do, people begin to understand it, they begin to go with what God's doing, and it will develop into a culture. And here, but there's other places where there's like a revival culture. 
And I, I'm going to talk about that here in a moment. I'm just laying some groundwork. But is this making sense tonight? So what we've been doing, what I've been praying about and doing for a long time, is cultivating the atmosphere and the culture that God has given us. And we've been sustaining that over a long period of time. So it's not like just having a good service every once in a while. It would be extremely weird if God's presence wasn't here. And it's just, it's just his grace and mercy. It's not anything to do with any person. But I believe that God wants to do that everywhere. But people have to want that and have to pursue that. For you to have an atmosphere of heaven and have a, a culture that God wants you to have, it's not something that you're just going to stumble upon. It's something that you've got to cultivate. I'll give you an example. You know, if you have a garden or something, you can't just leave that thing for six months and come back and think that it's just going to all work out. You know, you're going to have to go in there and pull weeds. You're going to have to trim things. You're going to have to water. You're going to have to fertilize. You're going to take care of it. You're going to have to cultivate that garden for it to really be what it needs to be. And there's certain things, and this will make a little bit more sense as I go, but there's certain things that outer court people can get away with or at least they think they can that holy of holies people are not going to get away with let me say that again there are certain things that people are able to do in the outer court and it seems like they can get away with it but once you start moving into the holy of holies the holy spirit is not going to let you get away with that any longer you're going to, have to repent to come in and to remain in that glory of the Lord, you're going to have to live a repentant life. It's the same in a church as it would be in somebody's home. But see, holy of holies people will understand this. Outer court people probably won't. But for you to really dwell in the glory, the Holy Spirit is not going to let you get away with certain things. Things that maybe you used to listen to, things you used to watch. All of a sudden now, you don't feel good about the alcohol. It's got to go. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about Holy of Holies people. Outer court people, they're probably not going to feel that way. All of a sudden, profanity is bothering you, and you realize it, it displeases the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden now, people having sex on the television screen, you can't watch it anymore. It just it grieves you. can't. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is now moving there the glory of god's there and you can't get away with it see sadly a lot of places a lot of homes are outer court there's no glory in them at all they're really they're quite sterile and they don't understand what the problem is but if they would let the holy spirit begin to purge the atmosphere of their home and they would guard that they would tend it and guard it the way god wants them to then the glory of God can come in and reside there and their prayer life will be extremely powerful in that glory. Their night's rest will be in the glory. They'll be, um, it'll be easier to get along in that glory. It's a presence, it's a peace of God, it's a glory of the Lord. When I say the glory, I'm talking about his manifest presence. That can be in your home, but it's not something that's just going to just happen you have to pursue that and you have to cultivate that you got to watch over that now i'm not talking about in a religious because i can just hear 
when I was getting this sermon, I think that God allowed me to get like a prophetic thing or something, but I heard like something of the enemy beginning to try to whisper to certain people, this is just legalistic. Well, for outer court people, it is because that's where they live. Do's and don'ts, they don't have a relationship. But holy of holies people, it's not legalistic. It's you love the Lord. And you love the Lord more than you love the garbage. And you don't want anything that's going to offend the Holy Spirit. You don't want anything that's going to cause the glory to leave. And it's not out of fear. We're not talking about being just scared all the time, walking on eggshells, you're going to do something. That's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about developing a relationship with the Lord and his presence and walking with him daily. And you don't want things that would gr grieve him. You know, my wife and I have a good marriage. And if I knew something really hurt her or bothered her, and it really did, you know, I wouldn't keep doing that and cause her to not be want to be around me and cause a problem in our relationship. You hear what I'm saying? It's marital counseling right now. Y'all just absorb, absorb the wisdom right there. I mean, it's just common sense. So in the same way, the Lord, as we walk with him, if we know something is grievous to his spirit, you know, and I'll tell you something else. Be careful about this, but I've seen over time, last 20 years or so, I've seen how the occult, witchcraft, divination sorcery Ouija boards you know different weird stuff I've seen as some of that has tried to take on different masks and work its way into different churches in different ways but if you want demons y'all hear me out and I'm gonna say it as plain as a man can say if you want demons in your home and you want demons in your church the quickest way you can do it is bring in the occult am I telling the truth And people that are allowing things pornographic or, or sexually explicit. I, I heard one, one person that was um, on the internet. She went on a rant and I loved it. And she was saying that some people were mad at her because she was taking a stand against that, uh, whatever it's called, Fifty Shades of Grey or whatever. And she said these people profess to be Christians, but they're defending it. And listen to, wait a second, listen to what she said. She said, you have become so desensitized and so dark in your soul and so defiled and so polluted that you think that this is okay and it is straight up an abomination of God but see that's what happens is people they 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 let stuff go that they think is not a big deal they'll let the little bit of profanity here and there they'll let the little bit of lust here and there and they'll, they'll let other things go and they don't think it's a big deal but they're being desensitized the next thing you know they're more and more comfortable with a little bit more of it and a little bit more of it, a little bit more of it. And if they keep going, eventually they're going to be pretty far out there in some darkness and wonder how in the world did I ever get to this place? It's a little at a time. And so in your home, if you want an outer court home where there's no glory, you know, then allow some of this stuff that grieves the Holy Spirit. That's between you and God. But if you want a place for God to dwell, then it's going to be cultivated. It's going to be protected. And it's something that's going to be prayed over daily. Every day, I pray over uh, my family and my home. And I, I, I take communion. I apply the blood and say, Lord, cleanse. And I welcome the glory of the Lord. But that's why the glory is there. You, 
You have to pursue this. The Bible says, draw nigh unto God, he'll draw nigh unto you. So here's the thing. If somebody's really hungry and they've got a burning desire, they're hungry, then they're going to make their life and their home a dwelling place for God. And that means that we're not going to wink at sin and we're not going to go along with things we shouldn't be going along with. All right, amen? All right. So this is establishing an atmosphere and a culture. It takes time. It's not something that's going to be overnight, but it's something that's going to be cultivated over a period of time. So here in River of Life, God, by his grace and mercy, has given us a culture. And in this culture, and this took time, you've got to understand, this did not happen overnight. This was preaching on these things. This was praying into these things. This was, you like that? This was sharing what God has put. When you really get excited, that happens. This is sharing from your heart about these things. This is speaking blessings over these things over a period of time. And as you do this, it develops a culture. So number one is freedom in praise and worship. This did not happen overnight. This was something that we had to preach on. I had to speak blessings about it. We had to pray into it. But over time, it broke through a lot of that religious stuff that people had on them. You know, people don't mean to, but a lot of times they come out of backgrounds where there's a lot of pride, where there's a lot of um, a religion, and they've got to get that stuff off and out of them, and freedom in praise and worship. Also, flexible, non-religious services. We had to let God move and have his way and not try to control everything. And people got used to that. I think that a lot of people live in a place of fear where they feel like that if they're not in control, then they're afraid of what's going to happen or something. And that's where that religion comes in. It's a religious spirit that tries to bring control and tries to confine things. But whenever you get to a place where you trust the Holy Spirit, that God is in control, God is going to move in power, and you just move with the Holy Spirit. So we begin to have flexible, non-religious services where, you know, like today, for example, God moved more in the worship, so the worship extended. See, a lot of places will have a time limit on the worship or maybe a number of songs. And no matter what's going to happen, you just cut it off at that time. As much as God loves them, God cannot move in that. That's man's total, complete control. You're going to have to let go of all that, and you're going to have to trust God. And whenever maybe he's moving in a certain area, you may be in the middle of your sermon. There's been times where God's laid on my heart, um, we'd be partway through the worship, and I feel led to start praying for some people. We've done that before. Or a Holy Spirit will fall in another time. But you have to move with what God is wanting to do for it to be powerful. The, sec the third thing that I would mention is that we've developed over time the culture of the presence of God that we, we welcome his presence and we want his presence and we're pursuing his presence. How many of you guys want his presence here tonight and you want his presence next week? You know, it's, it's like man's agenda and man's reputation or whatever, none of that is really all that important at the end of the day. It, it's the presence of the Lord coming in and, pe and God changing people's lives. And I would say a revival culture, people hungry and on fire for God. Also faith. 
and the power of God, a culture of faith in the power of God, a culture of people believing for God to heal the sick. Well, there's places out there that teach that healing isn't for today. And they have a culture where there's going to probably never be anybody healed because they don't believe for it. They don't pray about it. But there's a culture here of faith. There's a culture here of being able to implement change. This is one of the worst strongholds I've seen is so many people don't like change. So many churches don't like change. And when you go to start doing something, the Holy Spirit's moving a certain direction. Man, it will stir up all kinds of resistance in a lot of places. But I'm thankful there's a culture here of us just being willing to move with the Lord, whatever he wants to do, and being willing to change. And also the Hebrew roots, that's been really powerful. I believe that's impacted our church a lot. And that's a culture as well of understanding that from a New Testament perspective. But regarding this atmosphere in this culture over a period of time that's been established, this was the scripture the Lord gave me. Revelation 2.25, he said, Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. See, you have to guard what you have. So let me say it this way. We've developed this culture over time. You've heard the word of God preached. You've experienced things for yourself. You, you've experienced healing. You've seen healing. You've experienced deliverance. You know, there's been people in this place that have been straight up delivered of demons. We've seen it multiple times. People that have been totally healed of things. People that have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You have a faith and a culture there. But you have to understand that people come out of different backgrounds and different cultures. And so when they come into the presence of God and they come into the power of God, many times it's such a culture shock that they don't know what to do about it. But here's the problem. This is where pride or humility comes in. If somebody's humble, then they say, well, obviously God's among us and Lord, maybe I don't know everything, just whatever you help me to understand and do a work in me, things like that. It's humble. But a lot of times there'll be people that have a pride about them and they come in and they don't like it and they want to change everything that's going on here into what they want, what they came out of, what they're comfortable with. Now, I've had to deal with that sometimes, and I've had to, in a very loving way, just tell people, we love you, but we're not changing for you. I mean, but you have to take a stand for what God has established. I mean, it's taken years to establish a culture and establish an atmosphere, and you're not going to yield all that to somebody that's maybe religious or somebody that may be controlling or somebody that just don't like it or whatever else. Because there's other places that they could go. All right. And then Philippians 2.21. This is a sad scripture, but it says, all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. You know, I've read through the New Testament multiple times. To me, I, I believe I say this having thought about what I'm saying, okay? But I believe this is probably one of the saddest scriptures I've read in the New Testament. If you really think about what Paul's saying. You know how many, you think about what he's saying here. All these Christians, all these ministers, all these churches, this is what the Bible says. He said, they're seeking their own interests, not that of Jesus Christ. 
And that's in the word. So we know that it's true. How many people would say that you could, you could see that in a lot of places? People are just seeking their own interest, their own kingdom, their own reputation, and not that of Jesus Christ. So I would say, I would submit to you that we need a kingdom mindset. That whatever God needs to do in us to get out of us whatever ego is there, whatever competition or jealousy, whatever it is, that God really take all of that out and help us have a kingdom mindset where we're not just about our little circle, but we're about the greater good of the kingdom. Too many people want to build their own kingdom and build their own church. It's like they want to build. I remember Derek Prince one time. He was he had such a sweet disposition. But sometimes he, he would get kind of firm. And he was saying one time that this guy had said to him, you know, well, I'm going to build a church. And he, and he said, he thought to himself, well, you arrogant little thing. He was thinking, you can't just go and just build something. God has to do that. God has to initiate that. God's got to do it. And he's right. But a lot of people don't understand that. They say, I can do it. I will do it. And so a lot of people are trying to build their own kingdom, build their own reputation, build their own ministry. It's about them. It's about them getting the glory. And many are caught up with their own reputation. This has really grieved me, and I've actually seen this quite a bit. People are so caught up about their own reputation that they'll do whatever they have to do to protect their reputation. And it's like their name, their reputation, whatever they got to do, whoever they got to step on, whoever they got to wad up and throw away, whatever they got to do, they're not going to have their precious reputation tarnished. And I don't believe that that's the Lord. I believe there is a wisdom okay, that we use to be careful that, you know, we live above reproach. But at the same time, you know, think about it. When Jesus was here, Jesus would do things that, you know, he would be eating with sinners and tax collectors. He called Matthew, who was a tax collector. And I remember reading where he was at a table and this woman came and was weeping at his feet, you know, and, and drying his feet with her hair. And, and one of the Pharisees said, you know, if he was really a man of God, he'd know who's touching him, you see. So, but Jesus didn't seem to be overly concerned about that sort of thing, people criticizing him, to where he wasn't willing to associate and, and try to minister to the people that needed it. You hear what I'm saying? And so there's, you know, in dealing also with a move of God, with revival and, and people getting touched by God, I mean, we've seen some pretty awesome things down through the years, you know. And that can kind of be a little messy because a lot of people don't understand what's going on. All right, I need to move off this, but let's have Christ's heart, his mind in this situation, that we're not about just ourselves, our reputation, our little kingdom, but we have a heart for the city. We have a heart for our nation. We have a heart for souls to be saved. Number three, 2 Timothy 
suffer hardships with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlists him as a soldier. But endure hardship with me. You know, I was thankful. I don't know if you guys have ever seen a movie called Facing the Giants. You guys ever see that? So it's really good. If you haven't seen I recommend that you get it. But I'm not going to ruin it. Those who haven't seen it and give you a spoiler because I'm, I'm going to be nice, right? But there was a scene where this coach, football coach, had, had a young man that he, he felt like he had a lot more potential than what he was living up to. And this young man was goofing off too much and wasn't really giving it his best. So he told him, you know, without using the lingo, he said that he had to have another player on his back and kind of carry him on his hands and knees across the field. And he told him, he said, I'm going to blindfold you because I don't want you to quit before you give it 100%. And so he put a blindfold on him. The guy crawls on his back. He's on his hands and knees and he's crawling and the coach is falling down the field. He said, I want you to give me everything you got. You're blindfolded. You don't know how far you've gone. You got to give me everything you got so you can't go any further. And so he's going down the field and eventually he's saying, man, my arms are tired. I can't, I can't do it anymore. And the coach is saying, you keep doing it until you can't do it anymore. Anyway, he ended up going the whole field. He went a lot further than what he thought he could. Well, here's my point in saying all of that. God will put people through things in life that will cause you to be hardened to difficulties. Where you are really beginning to reach your potential. And some of the best things that's happened to some young, young men when they were growing up was, you know, outside of their parents raising them right and not trying to be their friend, but being a parent's big amen there. Anyway, all right, is that they end up around a good coach that'll give them a swift kick in the pants and tell them you can do more than what you're doing. Quit wimping out, quit crying about things, quit sitting there like that, get up and do what you can do and kind of push them and toughen them up in life People that's maybe been in the military for a time and it's toughened them up. And, you know, it's sad because you see some people that have never really been through anything that, I mean, I'm being serious. They, they may have a stressful day and just not come to church. I mean, that, seriously, they may just have a headache. But God is wanting to toughen people up where they can really, let's read it again. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier. Another translation says endure hardship. That there's some endurance. There's some toughness in people. That, you know, God can look at them and say, man, I can entrust them. You know, one, one person that was really an inspiration to me about this subject was Steve Hill. Man, that guy, he was a soldier. I remember Dick Rubin. He said that he had had a head-on collision. He was getting over it. He was fine, but he was, you know, he was sore and so. And he was coming in. He was saying something to Bar Steve one night, and, and uh, Bar Steve said, "Well, bless God, you'll be okay. We're all soldiers. Let's get out there and get what needs to be done." And, and Dick Rubin was telling us from the pulpit. He said, "Man, I think Bar Steve would have been a lot nicer to me if I was one of these sinners out here. You know, he just." <laughs> 
And I remember Lindell talked about that. He, he was telling me there was times that his voice, you know, night after night, there was a time he even had laryngitis or something. And uh, he's like, Brother Steve, I don't know. If, and Brother Bruce, Steve's like, well, we, we can do it. And he prays for him, and they get out there. And you know what? God took over, and they get, all these people got saved. And But I remember that they joked about it. But you're doing but night after night. And um, I remember... One person says Steve's eyes look like two burnt holes in a blanket. Remember that? And I'm sure that he was tired, but he was a soldier, and he was tough, and God could entrust him because he knew that he wasn't going to wimp out just because he was tired. And I remember Brother Steve telling me that, you know, he was sick sometimes, and he just had to just suck it up and go out there and minister anyway. He's a soldier. And I believe that, you know, listening to that, I thought about Brownsville just came up in my mind through all of this, but I thought about hearing an interview with Steve, and he was saying he thinks one of, the, one of the reasons why God moved so powerfully in Pensacola was a lot of the people there, it was a military town, and the people there were used to being under authority, taking commands from their officer. They, they weren't rebellious, and they were used to a sacrificial life. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Let me say that again, because I really think that people need to hear that. They were used to being under authority, taking orders, and being okay with that. Being told, no, you're going to do this. You know, they were okay with that. They weren't rebellious. But also, they understood sacrifice, a sacrificial life. You know, think about the military, that people are willing to lay down their life for somebody else. They understood sacrifice. So we have to get to a place where we're able to endure hardships. And God many times will put people through things that will stretch you and that will cause you to have to mature, have to grow up, toughen you up, strengthen you in so many ways. But he's trying to get you ready. Through things we've been through, my wife and I in the ministry too, we've had to be get used to things that you just deal with in the ministry things you deal with with certain types of people etc but you get toughened up in it amen all right be ready to walk through persecution when you're going to go after god and you're going to be used of god you have to understand that there's a level of persecution that goes along with that and just because some people don't like it don't understand it maybe there's controversy you can't be a wimp and say well we're going to shut down the revival shut everything down because so-and-so over there just doesn't like it But there has to be a culture, a culture of sacrifice, a culture of, of going after God to see a greater move that's bigger than just us. But, but, you know, think about it. We're praying for souls to be saved over and over, just more and more souls. Well, as we're praying about that, we've got to be willing to make the accommodations to see what needs to happen take place in their life. All right, 1 Timothy 1.18 this command I tr entrust you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight a good fight. So God gives us prophetic words to give us some kind of direction, to give us perception that we need. But by those prophetic words that are over our lives individually and over a ministry, you have to pray into that and you have to be willing to fight the good fight to see that come to pass. 
How many places out there, there's legitimately prophetic words that have happened. You can talk to people, maybe at certain churches, different places that they've had powerful words. Maybe years ago, somebody came through and there was no doubt it was the word of the Lord. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. God's calling you to this. And it was documented. And well, after that, the devil began to fight. And then things happen. There's a church split. There's this person against this person. This person rebelling against the pastor. This happens. And all of a sudden, it's like the atmosphere is full of strife. There's division. It's oppressed. It's difficult. And now, all these years later, this prophecy has never happened. It was a true word of the Lord. But it hasn't happened because of all of the satanic attack. That needs to be cleared out. You need to get the vision and focus back and pray that thing in. Amen? The attacks of discouragement and depression. I think about the ancient attacks, spiritual warfare that the devil has released against God's people. One of them is very clear in the days of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is trying to rebuild the wall. He's, he's got all these men and women that are trying to help with this. But, but how was the devil attacking Nehemiah? Was by raising up evil men like Sambalat, Tobiah, and others that were sitting around and mocking them. Trying to get them discouraged. Here they are trying to do the work of God. And it really is what God has called them to do. They're trying to rebuild the wall. And the devil is constantly mocking and making fun of them. Don't be surprised if you, God doesn't start doing something and you're moving with God and you're doing what God's called you to do. But now that the devil keeps raising up different types of discouragement people that are going to mock and ridicule and try to get you to feel like giving up. Many times when you've gotten to that place where you feel like giving up the most is the time when there's about to be the greatest breakthrough. And I think about an attack of depression. Look at Elijah. What an awesome man of God Elijah was. And I mean, he saw what? On Mount Carmel, this fire come down in full view of all these people. All these prophets of Baal and others were killed. But when that spirit that Jezebel spirit attacked him as great a man of God as he was he went into a depression and he went under this tree juniper tree I believe and he, and he prayed my life is no better than anybody else just take my life he became suicidal depressed and God tried to send an angel to God did send an angel to him tried to encourage him rather gave him spiritual food kept doing things to try to encourage Elijah but he, he stayed in that place of being depressed it never really broke out of it to come into what God had for him. And so eventually in that place of depression, God tells Elijah, you know, I've tried and tried and tried, but here's how it's going to be. I want you now to go back and I want you to anoint Hazael, king over Aram. I want you to anoint Jehu, king over Israel. And I want you to anoint Elisha to succeed you as prophet because, because of your depression or whatever, it's gotten to a place where I cannot use you and you cannot really be effective like I want you to You hear what I'm saying? When we allow ourselves to get overtaken with a depression and begin to give up and throw in the towel and just forget I can't handle it and we get to that place, that is where you're, you become ineffective. 
Elijah should have broke that off him and rose up and done what God called him to do, but it was satanic. It's important that you recognize the discouragement and the depression as being satanic. It's not just bad weather. It's not just a bad day. It's not just because of, you know, what are hormones or whatever. It is it's an attack of the devil. And many times people don't recognize attacks of the devil and they want to explain it away, especially here in America. It just If there's any other explanation, what's well, been cloudy, you know, it's, it's been dark. It's, and they don't understand it's a, it's a warfare. It really is. And breaking through that depression, breaking through that discouragement and rising up and doing what God's called you to do. So let me say a couple quick things and then I'm going to begin to close this out. But I hope you've understood where I'm coming from about an atmosphere and a culture. It's something that we have to have Christ's heart about it. You know, all seek their own interest. You can't have your own interest. You've got to have the Lord's interests. Unless the Lord build the house, them that labor, labor in vain. There's got to be an, Lord, what are you doing? What do you want to do? How do you want to do it? And we have to be willing to fight for what we have and not yield to the pressures of others. But people need to understand that you've got to keep things purged and cleansed. I'll tell you a couple stories. So there was this story at this church. True story, there was a, a pastor there and for whatever reason, he got into adultery and it was multiple affairs it was really bad and he had to be removed and so he left and you know his his wife and kids were still left behind anyway the church had to recoup and had to get another pastor come in after him this other pastor comes in he's a real man of God man of prayer powerful and they back in those days there wasn't um you know, nowadays this isn't very common anymore but in those days there would be a church and then you would have a parsonage that's attached to it okay where the pastor would live well he comes in and, and this new family now new pastor wife kids come in and they're living in the same place that you know the previous pastor lived and they're they're ministering in the same church where this happened and so after being there for a little while this new pastor tells his wife said man i have never dealt with this in my life but he said i have been having bad dreams you know about lustful things and it just feels that something isn't right i feel like i'm under attack and so the wife said well let's we're going to pray about it. so she's an intercessor and she knew some powerful intercessors and so she calls them up from a previous church and they, they all get together and come now to this town to help her. And they go up there on an off night when they're not having service or anything. And these elderly women that know how to pray, and I know some people like this. There's some older women out there that I'm, I'm being serious. The devil really doesn't, he's scared of these people, I'm telling. It's these old women that have been praying for a long time, and they know how to pray. I'm, I know people like this. Anyway, there was a whole bunch of them come together. I mean, probably about 14 people together. And they're mad at the devil. And so they go in there, and they had got some anointing oil. And 
they weren't just doing this little thing. I mean, they dumped a bunch of oil and they're flinging it everywhere. And they're going through there and they're, they're anointing. I mean, they're anointing everything. They're throwing oil everywhere. And they're saying, in the name of Jesus, out. Every spirit of adultery, out. And they go through that whole church. And you know, that thing broke and it, that, that darkness left. And revival started breaking out in that church. So I'm talking about purging the atmosphere but you have to maintain that. And that's why it's so important in churches too that you're not going to wink at or tolerate sin that's unrepentant. I understand that lost people come in and get saved. And I understand that there's baby Christians that, that struggle. I get that. And I understand there's sincere people that want to be free that are just having struggles. That's totally fine. But I'm talking about unrepentant people. They have no intentions of changing. They're unrepentant. And if you allow yourself to tolerate a Jezebel spirit or to tolerate sexual immorality or tolerate just flat-out rebellion or, or division, things like that in a church, you don't realize what you're letting into that church. You're letting in dark forces and an oppressed atmosphere, an evil atmosphere, that it's going to be now difficult for God to move or, or anything to happen in that church because sin has been tolerated in the camp. And so you have to be willing to deal with stuff. I think about, you know, an example maybe in a, in a home where maybe there's a parent that's a teenager that maybe has illegal drugs in their room or something like that, and the parent's afraid the kid won't deal with it. And when you're dealing with a situation like that, you're dealing with rebellion, and you're letting now the parents, by being passive, like an Ahab or something, being passive and wimpy, now they're letting something in their home that's going to be oppressive and dark. Whereas if they would man up or woman up and go up in there and say, look, you live under my roof, under my rules, this is the way it's going to be, and that goes. And they go in there and clean house and deal with it, and then, you know, pray over that room, whatever. They can create an atmosphere where God's going to move in that home, and God's going to move in the life of that teenager. They may not like it at first, but if you'll take a stand with God, God will get your back, and he'll work things out. But if you go along with the devil, it's not going to work out. It's just going to keep getting worse. All right. So don't despise, don't despise the days of small beginnings. God will always have a remnant. You notice if you look at the tabernacle, and I'm closing with this. If you look at the tabernacle, the outer court was pretty big. It was about half the size of the football field. It was big. The holy place was a lot smaller than that. But the holy of holies was even smaller. The deeper you're going to go in the things of God, the further you're going to go with God. You're really going to go after Jesus with all your heart. The less people are going to understand that. You got a lot of people in the outer court. You got some people in the holy place, but you only have a few that's in the holy place. It's a remnant. So anyway, I just talk about that tonight, about culture and atmosphere. That if you purge the atmosphere and you'll tend it and you'll keep it, keep it clean, keep things out of it that aren't right, and pray, seek God the heavens will open the glory of God will come 
and it will be sustained. And then you'll have an atmosphere where it's not uncommon to see somebody convicted and get saved, to see the sick healed, to see somebody delivered and you know, baptized in the Holy Spirit, etc. It's an atmosphere of the power of God, the glory. And you begin to create a culture where people are accustomed to that. You know, you can go into some places, and some of y'all know what I'm talking about, and the worship begins, and it's tight as a drum. Just to raise your hand, you would feel like a total idiot. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's a culture like that there. But then you go to some other place where there's freedom and praise, and it's been that way for a period of time. You don't feel that. You feel that you can just dance and be free, and it's no big deal. Nobody cares, and nobody does care. We're all just worshiping the king. That's one thing I really love here at River of Life is that people just really don't care, really even how the worship sounds so much or anything. People are just so focused upward. All right. So let's pray tonight. We're going to pray for some people.